This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Huckabee, Senator Josh Hawley fights the radical left. Olivia Newton-John and her daughter Chloe rants from a southern lady. And country music star T.G. Shepard. That's the Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike It's Super Bowl week, everybody. I overthrew the one to Trey. I don't think I got... I caught it. Did you catch yours? Yeah, I caught it. Oh, that's good. I'm going to give one to the audience out here. Let's see if we can get one out there. Uh, Tom Brady, eat your heart out. And Patrick Mahomes, that's how you throw a football. Actually, if it was like that, neither of you guys would be in the Super Bowl. That's just the truth. You know, I used to say that When I was in about junior high, I realized that I was not really very good in sports and we're going to have to develop my talents in some other direction. I said, I really... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Realized I was never going to quarterback the Dallas Cowboys to a Super Bowl. These days, I'm not sure anybody else is either. (laughs) They haven't been there in a while. Oh, well. Welcome to our show. Hey, we get lectured a whole lot from the left telling us to follow the science. And sometimes it's a lot more than a lecture. We get screamed at. Follow the science. Listen to the scientists, we're told. It's just hard to figure out what science these folks are following themselves. Now, when I'm told that a biological boy can declare himself to be a girl and even participate in girls' sports, I'm wondering what the science is that says that makes sense. You see, when I was a little boy, I used to pretend to be a cowboy, a soldier, a superhero, or a policeman. But not one person in my neighborhood actually believed I was any of those things. I sometimes even got a yardstick and the lid from a metal garbage can, and I pretended to be Sir Lancelot with my imaginary sword and shield. But I never really believed that I was Sir Lancelot. Nobody else did either. I really wasn't thinking about the science. I was just living in a place called reality. My God-given biological assignment as a boy couldn't be imagined away 
And if I'd tried to insist that everyone call me Marianne instead of Mike, and if I'd worn a dress to school in the second grade, I can assure you that no one would be applauding me for my courage in demanding that I be called by my preferred pronouns. Now, have you noticed that the boys who pretend to be girls usually end up winning athletic contests for girls? But do you ever hear of a girl winning in sports against boys when she declares that she is a boy? So if gender is just something I can choose the same way I choose an ice cream flavor, why aren't the results the same? Maybe science can explain that. And abortion supporters say that we need abortion because it's to protect women's health. But how is a woman's health protected by conducting an unnatural, irreversible surgical procedure that results in the death of a baby, especially when the baby is a girl, or for those who may not realize it, a future woman? Sure didn't protect her health. Doesn't science really say that when 23 male chromosomes unite with 23 female chromosomes, those 46 chromosomes become a unique human being? and has the biological imprint of his or her DNA that will be his or hers for the rest of one's life. We get it that climate does change, but it's always been changing. Most real scientists believe that climate is cyclical, not linear, meaning that there are patterns that repeat themselves rather than climate simply operating in a straight line. The people who are most ashamed and alarmed that we're making too big a carbon footprint by using oil and gas, they're the ones who fly around in private jets, live in large and energy-consuming homes, and get driven in large, chauffeured, limousine vehicles. And hasn't science always said that in an outbreak of severe disease, we've got to isolate the sick people from the healthy people? Then why in the name of COVID-19 did we isolate the healthy people and quarantine them? Doesn't seem very scientific. Look, I wasn't the best science student in my high school, but I learned enough to know that I couldn't pretend to be a girl when I wasn't. I couldn't think it was okay to take the life of an innocent baby because that might make a woman healthier. Or that if we'd walk or ride bicycles everywhere, we could somehow save polar bears and the coastline. I'm all for science. I really am. But some of the insanity that the left is peddling is far from being scientific. It's not science. It's just plain silly. <laughs> While President Joe Biden and some other prominent Democrats have been calling for unity after the most contentious election in modern history, my first guest says unity isn't what they want at all. They want total control over all of our lives. I recently sat down with Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, who's taken on the radical agenda that he says the left is forcing on America, plus the unprecedented power grab by big tech. Senator, I was going to ask, what is that unusual scene on your tie? I realize it's a target, because I think you've been wearing a target on your chest for quite some time. You may be the most uh, interesting guy in Washington right now. It seems like everybody's out to cancel Josh Hawley. What the heck is going on? Well, you know, I think, uh, I think, Mike, it's just a question of not being willing on my part to bow to the liberal mob, uh, to the woke mob that wants all dissent silence. You know, we're hearing a lot from 
President Biden and the Democrats about unity and healing. They don't want unity and healing. That's not what they're doing. They want total control and they want opposition to be silenced. And I, for one, am just not going to agree to be canceled. I'm not going to bow down to the woke mob. I'm going to stand up, represent the people of my state, the state of Missouri. I'm going to stand up for the values and principles that we believe in. And I'm not going to I'm not going to kowtow to the mob. Roll this back to January 20th, uh, Inauguration Day. Um, there, there was really a sense, or maybe go back to January 6th, there was a sense in which people said you were trying to overturn the election. If they'd listened carefully, they would know that you, Senator Cruz, and others were not trying to overturn an election, but to simply audit the election to see was everything on the up and up. Why is it that that yeah, simple exactly. message couldn't got, get out more clearly? Well, I, because I think the liberal media and, again, the leftist mob didn't want it to get out. I mean, they know now that they're telling lies. When they say that Ted Cruz and I and the House Republicans wanted to overturn an election, they know that's a lie. It's a total lie. Yeah. What we asked for was a congressional investigation. What I asked for was reform going forward, Mike. I said that I wanted to force a debate about election integrity going forward because we do need reforms. We need to do things like ban third-party ballot harvesting, for instance, and I've introduced legislation to do that, but the left doesn't want to hear any about any of that. What they want now is a pretext to try to silence people who stand up to them. And that's what they're trying to do to me, but I'm not going to go along with it. You know, it only works if you agree to go along with it, if you agree to be silent, and I'm not going to be silent. And I think it's very important, Senator, that you have fought back because Republicans traditionally sometimes just roll over when the attacks come. And as a result, uh, we just keep getting run over. I, I think if there's one thing President Trump taught us was fight back. Now, maybe he didn't always do it in the most genteel way, but the fact is he didn't roll over. You had your book canceled by Simon & Schuster that was about to come out. Um, it's that kind of thing, the cancel culture, that is stunning and, quite frankly, it's a little bit frightening if uh, big companies, big tech, can just say, we don't like what Senator Hawley, an elected senator, is saying. We're going to shut him off social media. We're going to shut down his publishing. I do think you got another contract on your book, so it still will come out. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, it's called The Tyranny of Big Tech, and the irony of it is the book is all about what tech and the big corporate monopolies have been trying to do the last few weeks, trying to silence dissent, trying to tell conservatives they're not welcome in the public square. And of course, and they've been trying to do this to people of faith and, and pro-life advocates for years. We've seen social media in particular go after pro-life groups, go after those who stand for their faith, want to share it online, want to share it in the public square. So right now, the attacks are just intensifying. And that's why, you know, you talked about fighting back. It's important for those of us who have a public trust and those of us who have a voice and have been elected to stand up on behalf of our constituents and the people we represent. Because if we don't, then the attacks will just intensify and the repression will just intensify. One of the most repulsive things was when a group of, and I'll call them anarchists, went to your home <clears throat> when your wife was there with a newborn baby, you weren't even at home. They banged on the door, they yelled and screamed, uh, doing everything they can to intimidate uh, you, your family. I mean, those are the kind of things that, that we haven't seen in America for ever, maybe, what do we do with this kind of nonsense? Well, I think that uh, as conservatives, we have to say, listen, you can disagree with people. We obviously have deep disagreements with those on the left who are wanting to cancel the First Amendment. 
but we resolve our disagreements in a democratic manner. That's why open democratic debate is so important. But yeah, this Antifa-affiliated group that, that came to, to our house and, and uh, confronted my wife uh, with our newborn, as you say, when I wasn't even there, you know, that's wrong. And the left, they really know it's wrong, but they're willing to do anything, anything to try and intimidate and terrorize and, again, shut down opposition. Now, my wife's a pretty tough customer, so she wasn't intimidated. And I'm not going to be intimidated, but I just think of the, the many folks in my home state, Mike, in Missouri who are being boycotted right now, maybe people who contributed to Republican candidates or maybe people who donated to pro-life groups. They're on the left's boycott list. They're getting harassed. This is not the American way to resolve disagreements. And we've got to take a stand and say, no, we're going to defend the First Amendment. Big tech has been pretty brutal. They've shut down not just the president, but they took out uh, an entire platform like Parler. Uh, it's clear that they're putting their big foot on everything. I hear people in Congress saying we're going to have hearings, we're going to do something. But we've been having lots of hearings. Give me some comfort that something's actually going to happen because be honest with you, I'm a little discouraged that Congress is going to keep doing hearings, but nothing is going to happen. Yeah, well, I'm discouraged, too. I mean, I've, I've been in the Senate now, I guess it's been two years, and it's been two years of a lot of talk in D.C. about tech and a lot of no action. Here's the most important thing I think has happened in the last couple of years, and that is the Justice Department launched an antitrust suit against Google. That is hugely, hugely significant. There needs to be one against Facebook as well. Uh, the, the, these big tech companies need to be broken up. I mean, monopoly power, our founders didn't believe in monopoly power. They didn't believe in concentrated power. It's always dangerous. And now the tech companies are showing us why. They're trying to control our speech. They're trying to silence conservatives. They're trying to silence people of faith. We have got to stand up to that. I think the most important thing we can do is break them up and stop the government giveaways to these big tech companies. Couldn't agree more. Senator Josh Hawley, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Well, you can keep up with Senator Josh Hawley on social media, for the moment anyway, at S-E-N, like Sen, Hawley Press. Keith Bilbrey is over there standing by. He's going to tell us what we have in our treasure chest of a show tonight. Oh, it's a good one. Next, singers Olivia Newton-John and her daughter Chloe. The comedy of Jose Sardui. Plus, country music star T.G. Shepard. You're watching Huckabee. Former Representative Mark Walker and activist Clarence Henderson. Olivia Newton-John is one of the most beloved and versatile musical artists of all time. Her daughter Chloe is a successful singer in her own right. They've now teamed up on a new number one hit called Window in the Wall. It promotes healing in a very divided world. Take a look.
Oh, of course we're not going to let you watch all of it because you've got to go and download it <laughs> yourself, which you're going to want to do. <laughs> what an honor to welcome Olivia Newton-John and Chloe Latanzi. I'm so proud to have you both here. And I want to start, Olivia, with you. Your book just came out in paperback. It was a New York Times bestseller. We've now seen it in paperback. It is just a wonderful, candid book. I loved reading it. And I, I think I always liked you, but I came to realize what a good-hearted person you are and what a positive spirit. This is a book that is uplifting at a time when everybody needs a little bit of it. You've been through some tough stuff. I've had my share, just like everybody watching. <laughs> um, but I feel very grateful that I'm here and I'm healthy and with my girl and talking to you and life couldn't be better right now. Well, one of the things that came through so clearly is the extraordinary bond that the two of you have, which is, to me, wonderful for... Uh, a daughter to have this kind of bond with an incredibly famous mother. Was it tough, uh, Chloe, growing up in the shadow of Olivia Newton-John? Um, yes, it was. It was tough, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but I, I'm very lucky, lucky that my mother is the most kind, loving, grounded human being and... Um, yeah, I, I, it was tough, but it's made me into the person that I am. And, and thank you. And I'll pay you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll pay you both just for having doing, uh, do, doing the interview. And, and Olivia, I think that one of the things that warmed me most when I read your book was what a phenomenal family you come from. I, I had no idea your grandfather was a very close friend of Albert Einstein. Uh, that in itself is pretty remarkable. Uh, your father was uh, an incredibly brilliant man who helped uh, break down the code of Germany, spoke such fluent German that he kind of outspoke the Germans. I mean, it was really, <laughs> you've got quite the family tree. You really do. I do. I do. It's quite something to live up to. I don't know what happened to me. My grandfather won a Nobel Prize for quantum physics and I failed math. So put, <laughs> that, <laughs> put that together. Einstein, <laughs> Einstein didn't do well in math. Oh, didn't he? No, he right. did not. <laughs> <laughs> my uh, mother actually translated a book of letters between Einstein and my grandfather called the Einstein-Born Letters. So um, very, very interesting. When you were first diagnosed with cancer back in 1992, uh, you fought that off, and then you had a, a, another bout of it uh, just a few years later. But through all of that, one of the things that, that you ended up becoming was one of the world's most prolific advocates for healthy living, for a holistic approach to dealing with cancer. You've established a remarkable uh, healing institute in Australia, your home country. And I'm just curious as to uh, what was it deep inside of you that said, I don't want to just get well. I want to help other people get well. That's, that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, I established, uh, I had my name on a wonderful cancer wellness center in Australia, and I just started a foundation to research plant medicine for cancer because plant medicine has been so important in my healing. The last seven years, I've been dealing with metastatic breast cancer, and I'm doing so well, and I feel so good, thanks to my husband, who is a plant medicine man and grows plant medicine for me and also is a an expert in Amazonian herbs and plants that I take regularly. So I want to do the research and get the science on the plant medicine to show people that this is also a way to heal and a healthy way to heal because I feel great. I feel strong. 
I'm not taking um, tons of drugs. I'm not taking any drugs. I'm taking all natural things and herbs. And I think that was one of the uh, maybe most encouraging things. You're finding natural ways to, uh, uh, to overcome. Chloe, this song that you uh, have done with your mother, When to Win the Wall, tell us about it. We just got to see a little clip. Um, you know, I, I think the song is about love and compassion and kindness and real kindness, I think, in this world, I see, you know, it, people will be nice to you if you think like them, but real kindness is showing love and respect to someone, even if they think differently than you, they have different politics than you, they have different belief systems. It's, um, you know, it's about loving everybody no matter what and finding common ground. It's a beautiful song. It is so incredibly timely. I, I want to thank both of you so much for being here, and I hope people will get the song, which you can find the full song and music for Window in the Wall online right now. And for links to Olivia's incredible memoir, Don't Stop Believing, and her foundation, be sure to go to olivianewtonjohn.com. You can follow Chloe on Twitter at Chloe Latenzi. It's right there on your screen. Coming up, comedian Jose Sardui and best-selling author Susanna B. Lewis. Later, Mike's hilarious news stories on In Case You Missed It. More Huckabee is coming your way. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow Huckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. Now, after a year of COVID lockdowns, I bet you're ready to live again and even travel again with the expectation that the world will be open for business by the fall. I want to invite you to go with me to trace the steps of the Apostle Paul through the beautiful Mediterranean on a luxury ship just for those on our trip. World-class entertainment, Bible teaching, and unforgettable sights await you. It's October 24th through November the 2nd. Get all the details and sign up while space is still available. You can do all of that at thegreateststrip.com. Well, Jose Sardui was born in Cuba, then got deported because his dad was a political prisoner. Amazingly, he became a U.S. Air Force officer, served in enduring freedom and Iraqi freedom, and says that he got shot at in two different countries. So naturally, he became a comedian. Why not, huh? Would you please welcome the very funny Jose Sardui. All right. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. Oh, man. That Jose looks like a Jason. What's going on? That is the whitest Jose I've ever seen. Yeah, I get that all the time. My name is Jose, and nobody believes me. That's the story of my life. I used to live in Texas. Uh, I remember I went to meet a, a woman's family. The dad opened the door. He was like... Yeah. You're Jose? <laughs> Woo, we thought you was going to be like a real Jose. And I was like, what? <laughs> what did he think was coming to the door? Like some dude with maracas? Like, I'm here today, your daughter! Okay! And I just limbo across the door. My name is actually Jose. I was born in Cuba, raised in Miami. So I'm a good swimmer, obviously. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's a stereotype. If you didn't know, that was a stereotype for Cubans. I didn't know either until I went out for the high school swim team. 
And the coach is like, Sardewi, where, where's your name from? I, I was born in Cuba. He's like, what? We're going to win state this year. We got a Cuban kid now. You're a captain. Do you have cousins? I was like, obviously, I have cousins. I'm Cuban. Um, and I don't, I don't know if all Cubans are good swimmers, but if there had been Cubans on the Titanic, everybody would have survived. <laughs> and that would have been a way better movie. Can you imagine people running around? There's no more lifeboats to Cuban guys. We don't need no lifeboats. <laughs> you take this piano, you put it in the water, you can put 16 people on that thing. I do have a wonderful Cuban family, and I became a comedian because they are crazy. Do you have a crazy family? Clap it up if you got a crazy family. Okay. <laughs> Be proud. People, you, you always have an excuse if you have to have a drink. You're like, uh, why are you drinking? My mom. <laughs> but I love my family. Uh, my mom is a hero of mine, uh, and she's great. She has this accent that people really enjoy. Um, like, she called me up the other day. She's like, when you come to visit the house, you can use your computer all over the house. We have high-five all over the house. <laughs> like, it's great. High-five the entire house. It's great. <laughs> uh, as the governor said, I am uh, an Air Force veteran. I'm actually a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force Reserves. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I still do that. Still do that part-time. People are like, you look too young to be lieutenant colonel. And I was like, you should have seen when I was a 23-year-old lieutenant flying cargo planes, I looked 14, which wasn't good for passengers. <laughs> I had a World War II veteran get on my plane. What do you do on the plane, little boy? He's like, I'm your pilot, sir. He's like, we're taking a train, man. <laughs> they got babies flying airplanes. Uh, in, my, in my 25 years in the Air Force, I have discovered that we are not considered the tough branch. And I think it's because we don't have a cheer, right? The Army's like, hoo Marines are like, hoorah. Air Force is like, four. Like, we don't have a good, we don't have a good cheer. And I, I have been in combat, uh, but I flew a cargo plane. So it's a little different when you don't have a gun on your plane. Because if you have a gun on your plane and they shoot you, you go, oh, no, you didn't. And then you go, shoot back. But if you don't have a gun, when they shoot, you're just like, they are shooting! That's your reaction on the inside, because you got to be cool on the outside. And flying cargo planes, I had some wonderful experiences and some weird ones. Like one time they told me I was supposed to carry 600 pounds of cages full of live chickens. And I'm glad it didn't happen, because a bunch of chickens in an enclosed space. I was born in Cuba. I'd have been in the back of the plane. Ladies and gentlemen! Welcome to the main event! <laughs> Who's flying the plane? Whatever, two to run on the red one, two to one. We call him Mike Tyson, he likes to bite. <laughs> Thank you very much. I am Jose Sardua, you have been wonderful. Thank you so much for watching. Have a good night. You are the funniest Air Force colonel I've ever known in my <laughs> life. Most Air Force colonels will be like, I'm just as funny as he is. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Air Force Academy grad. It's not just that you're in the Air Force. You're, you're being a little modest. Oh, well. It's hard to get in. It's even harder to stay in and graduate and then become a pilot. Or standards are dropping. I mean, that's... <laughs> no, I don't think that's the case. I mean, but seriously, it yep. is an incredible thing to have achieved what you did. And then I'm scratching my head.
How do you go from flying Air Force planes, yes. na I mean, Air Force Academy grad, yeah. now you're doing stand-up comedy, for heaven's sakes. Well, I wanted to be an astronaut, and then I found out <laughs> that is hard. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I trained my whole life to be an astronaut, and yep. uh, then when I got to the place where I needed to be competitive, I wasn't anymore, because it's a very competitive program. And so I was a little lost, and then I found stand-up. Um, and it was actually very much like the military, when people don't laugh. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Yeah. What? Yeah, when okay. people don't laugh, it's like your drill sergeant going, your shirt is untucked, tuck it, and you know, shine your boots and all that. When the audience doesn't laugh, that's like, that, you need to rewrite that. <laughs> Go back and you need to, that's terrible. That's terrible. Right. Were, were you a natural comedian? Were you a cut up when you were a kid? I was not funny. Really? Yeah, I was an inside joke teller. Like if you and I had a funny experience, uh -huh. right? And I told that story to them, we would laugh. Okay. And they would be like, well, they seem to be having fun with each other. <laughs> I wish we could join in on the fun. So yeah, and then something happened. Something clicked when I learned how to tell a joke to strangers. And that was- Was that at the was... academy? Was that when that really started? No, I was, I was like 26 years old. I was at a bar um, meeting like a girlfriend's friends. Uh -huh. And they wanted to learn about me. And so I told stories about me and I had them laughing. One guy fell out of his chair. This one lady squirted beer out of her nose. And I was like, I got something. <laughs> Something's happening. Yeah, something was happening at right, that right, point. Right, right, right. Uh, but even when they were sober, were they still laughing? I mean, that's really the test of your that took a long time. skills. You know? <laughs> that took a long time. But I finally did get it. Uh, I was actually, I was in New York City. I was doing this, this, uh, this club. It was a bar called The Underground. It was an open mic. Yeah. And I had not gotten a big laugh yet. I got in chuckles. Uh-huh. And I was doing jokes, and it was, and this is where people went to jokes to die. Mm. And so I'm dying. I'm not doing anything. And, and as a reflex, right, I, I look down, and I, you don't think that's funny? Well, I, I'm Cuban. You can't drown me. And then... <laughs> This laughter hit me, and I was like, what did I say? What did I say? And from there, I started just telling jokes that way. So That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned that you're still in the Air Force, yes. your reserves. Yeah, so, so I go down, and now I'm a, I did my cargo time, and now I'm yeah. a flight instructor, so I go down and, and teach uh, people to fly. So you pay me tax dollars to not die, basically. <laughs> you know what? I think given yeah. your performance tonight, it's well worth it. Because oh, I want to tell you something. My tax dollars have been spent on a lot of crazier things than having somebody <laughs> who can make me laugh. So you are a bargain compared oh, to you. what thank most you. people get. Well, I know you still get to perform some even during COVID. I hope people will book you for their community and oh, clubs and all sorts of stuff. Great to have you here. Come thank back. You, you are hilarious. Thank you, Governor. Hey, you can find Jose's tour dates, his contact info, and a whole lot more at josesardui.com. You probably want to write it down because it doesn't sound like it looks. Jose Sardui, it's on your screen. And then you can follow him on social media. And for comedy with both attitude and altitude, remember he's a pilot, check out his hilarious web series at flying-funny.com. Next, humorous author Susanna B. Lewis and Mike's funny news stories on In Case You Missed It. Then country music star T.G. Shepard sings right here on Huckabee. I know that many of you watching have hearts that are wide open to assisting our friends at Samaritan's Purse who serve the broken and hurting. But I'm still reminded of the proverb that tells us Anyone who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. God will certainly reward them for what they have done. So 
So please reach out today to someone in need by calling the number on your screen or visiting the Samaritan's Purse website. And I hope you'll give generously. God has promised a blessing for those who show compassion. And I thank you for caring. Now, if you love great Southern humor like I do, because I'm Southern, you might know my next guest blog called Whoa, Susanna, or maybe her books like Can't Make This Stuff Up, but her latest is this one. I love it. It's perfectly titled for today. It's called How May I Offend You Today? <laughs> Rants and revelations from a not-so-proper Southern lady. Y'all, please welcome Susanna B. Lewis. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Governor. When I saw the title to the book, I thought, boy, that's so perfect. I mean, we're living in a world where everybody gets offended by everything all the time. Absolutely. So what's the heart of the message that you want to get to people in this book? Because I know it's supposed to, it's a humor. It's not just to be serious and yell at us. Right, it's both. Um, I have a pretty large social media uh, following and uh, I often post uh, my opinion my views on politics and religion, and a lot of people don't agree with no my views. Kidding. Can you believe that? No. Um, a lot of people don't agree with me, and they let it be known in the comment sections, uh, you know, through hatred and that kind of thing. But, you know, um, just because you're offended does not mean you're right. And so... That's uh, thank exactly you. right. Thank, thank you. you. So in the book, I just encourage readers to have a backbone, to not submit and cower, you know, to what other people think they should believe, to uh, speak their truth and speak it proudly and not be scared and exercise their First Amendment right. And, you know, the only one that we should be worried about offending is God. That's a great way to look at life. Thank you. You know, that's spoken like a true, sassy Southern woman. Yeah. I always say that when a Southern woman begins or ends a sentence with, bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> It's not that something good is about to happen No, it's to you. not. <laughs> do you ever tell somebody, bless your heart? I do. Yeah. I, think, I think that's the, the nice way to keep from saying something rude. I think it's a wonderful <laughs> Southern manner to say, bless your heart. There you go. Yeah. You, you've done a lot of videos that have gone viral. Yes, sir. People love to see really just kind of a Southern lady go after it. Yep. What's the one that has probably had more views than anything you've done? Um, it was most definitely the one about the first day of kindergarten uh, when I took my son, who was my baby at the time. I've uh -huh. since had another baby, but when I dropped him off at kindergarten and it just had a meltdown because my little one was growing up and it went viral. I think like 60 million people saw 60 it. 60 million. Um, and uh, it, it was crazy. I had on no makeup in that video and uh, I just rolled out of the bed when I made it and 60 million people got to see it. <laughs> you, you talk about some stuff like the thank you note. That yep. is becoming a lost art. It so is. What, what, what's so important, what's so special about that? Um, I just think Southern manners are just, uh, you know, saying please and thank you, yes sir, yes ma'am. Um, a man holding a door open for a lady, taking a casserole to somebody when their family member's sick or somebody's died, saying, bless your heart, instead yeah. of being rude. Uh, I think those are Southern manners that we should just live by. I think it's, you know, what, how our mamas and grandmamas brought us up. And um, I'm often asked, what should we toss out? And I think outdated etiquette would maybe be, we don't have to serve and entertain on our finest china and silver. Um, Dixie plates and plastic forks are okay, but yeah, uh, works for, me. for the rest, I still, I still agree with those Southern manners. Did you grow up in a real Southern kind of household? Oh, yes, sir. Everything was proper and just so-so? Well, not so much proper. We were kind of... Um, 
we were, it was kind of a sitcom-like household. My mothers and daddy were both very, very humorous people, but it was definitely Southern. My mama was, a, was Southern through and through, and my daddy was too. Do you find that sometimes people outside the South, they absolutely don't get us? Oh, yes. Oh, why is that? Because I, I think don't we're know. pretty doggone significant. I think you know? we're great. I don't know what the problem is. I, I don't there. get that either. I but, don't either. You know, they don't understand if you say, hey, I'm going to go fix a Coke. And they say, was it broken? I, and it's not even a Coke. It's something else. But we just called it a Coke. Well, whatever it is. If it's a soft drink, it's a Coke. It's because a Coke. It may be orange and it may be made by Pepsi, but it's a it's Coke. It's a Coke. Yes, sir. I absolutely agree. <laughs> Did you ever put peanuts in a Coke? Oh, yes. Okay, you're Southern. My granddaddy She's did real. Yeah. Folks, we just, there's yeah. authenticity yes, here. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yep. Have, I know you had a moon pie. Oh, yeah. Sweet moon tea. Moon pie, RC Cola, sweet tea. There you go. Oh, yes. You're the real deal. I, thank you, sir. So let's talk about, because in your book, How May I Offend You Today? Right. What do you think is the thing that we ought to avoid in our contacts with people to, to not, and I know this is part of what you're being funny about, yeah. But you don't want to go around offending people, so... No. Uh, I think it's never our intention to be uh, rude or degrade one another or put somebody down. But, you know, um, I think we live in a hypersensitive, overly politically correct world. I think a lot of that's fueled by the media. Yeah. Um, and the left, dare I say, of, of them saying, you know, why are you laughing at that? You shouldn't laugh at that. That should be offensive to you. This isn't right. Trying to tell us how to think. Uh, and what we should think is funny um, or what we should find offensive. And, you know, I just say, you know, stand by your convictions. And, you know, if you think something's funny, laugh at it, as long as it's not degrading another person. But if you think a joke, just like the comedian that was just on, there's some things there that people could find offensive. I laughed my tail off. I did too. Um, I don't think he was meaning to, to hurt anybody. And so, you know, it's just a... It's a fine line. I hate so you don't line. worry when you're doing your uh, conference speeches and stuff that you're going to cause somebody to get all upset. You just go ahead and ha be yourself. I, of course, have to choose my words carefully. I definitely don't want to, you know, hurt somebody's feelings intentionally. Sure. But I know my heart. The Lord knows my heart. And if my humor comes off as offensive sometimes and I don't mean it to be, you know, what can I do? I think you're a lovely Southern lady. You Thank love you, God, you love your country, and you love the culture of the South. Yeah. What could go wrong? That's know. why people ought to get How May I Offend You Today. Yeah. Also, all of Susanna B. Lewis's other writings, everywhere books are sold. Also on her website, which is, I think, a clever name, woesusanna.com. Yes, You'll also find her blog, podcast, and a lot more while you're there. And for more laughs and Southern wisdom, follow her on social media. Coming up, Mike pokes fun at the news with In Case You Missed It. And country music singer T.G. Shepard performs on Huckabee. One of the things I love most about this show, and that's the phenomenal music that we have every week from Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Give him a hand. Thank you. It is the envy of Nashville, and believe there's a lot of music in Nashville, none any finer than what we have right here on this show. Well, from the sanitizer-in-chief to distasteful culinary decisions, 
We've got the news that'll have you going bananas on our little segment we call In Case You Missed It. Well, Bernie Sanders wasn't the only person who became a meme at the Biden inauguration. The internet also went crazy over the masked gray-haired man who kept whipping out alcohol wipes and loudly wiping down the podium after every single speaker. Personally, with what we're paying Dr. Fauci, I think he ought to be doing that, don't you? Well, <laughs> whoever this guy was, he has been dubbed the sanitizer-in-chief. And everyone is saying, who was that masked man? I wanted to thank him from a safe distance, of course. I tell you one thing, it is a good thing that Lady Gaga did not wear her meat dress, if you've ever seen that. I mean, he'd still be scrubbing up after her. But I do understand why he's become a hero. With Trump gone, he's the only person left in Washington who cares about cleaning up the place. Well, next, we've got a brand new segment we're calling, Don't Put That In Your Mouth. First up, congratulations to Mike Jack of Ontario, Canada. He set a new Guinness World Record for eating Carolina Reaper chili peppers. They're the hottest peppers in the whole world. He ate three of them in under 10 seconds, which quite frankly seems like a good way to meet the Grim Reaper. Ah, unbelievable. Ah. I guess some people will do anything to stay warm in Canada in January. That's his way. Next stop on our culinary tour is Moscow, where public outrage forced the closure of a theme restaurant built around Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. Yeah, they named a restaurant after a man famous for causing <laughs> famines. Think about that. Now, there was a picture of Stalin by the front door, and then servers wore Soviet secret police uniforms. You thought the soup Nazi was bad, huh? <laughs> Now, menu items were named after Soviet-area communist leaders. Here's a tip. Avoid the Trotsky chili. Ooh. Did you get that one, Keith? Yeah, I got it. I think yeah. I've had it before. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think we've all had a little of that before. I also hear that the Stalin restaurant had no food, but it still got a rave review from the New York Times. Yeah. All right, and finally, I know that's the word you love to hear when we do this segment. Finally, yep. a chimpanzee escaped from a zoo in Sydney, Australia. The zookeepers feared he'd run off to a banana republic. <laughs> they went ape and launched oh. an emergency search. But it wasn't necessary. Shortly after escaping, the chimp was found sitting calmly outside his zoo enclosure, just waiting to be let back in. My theory is he got as far as the airport, saw CNN in the airport and decided... This world is far worse of a zoo than the one I just came from, and he went back home. That's what happened. Well, as much as we'd love to keep monkeying around, it's time to go. But until next time, always remember, we read the news. Coming up, country music singer T.G. Shepard talks and performs with Mike on Huckabee.
Hey, welcome back. Country music star T.G. Shepard has charted over 20 number one hit songs. When T.G. was just 16 years old in Memphis, he was introduced to a life in music when he was befriended by none other than a guy you might have heard of somewhere along the way, Elvis Presley. T.G.'s got a brand new album out, his first in over 20 years. It's called Midnight in Memphis. He is a great friend of our show, a great personal friend. We love him here. And you do too. T.G. Shepard, welcome. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. How was that for a send off? Wow, wow, I, I haven't had an introduction like that in quite a while. Well, Thank you'll you. get another one the next time you come, You've which I hope it. will be Guys, soon. It's good to be here with you. 20 years is a long time not to put out a solo album. So. I didn't know really where I fit in uh, because country music has been taking many different paths the last few years. So my wife Kelly said, well, I think the music will lead you where you're supposed to go. Just go yeah. find great songs. And so I, I did and back on the back out there with new music. I'm so happy that you're here and you're going to do one of the songs on the show and another one will be available online yeah. afterwards. And the last time you were with us, you did one of my very favorites, I Want to Live Like Elvis, <laughs> which is the opening cut on the album. Uh, you and Elvis were, were very close. We talked about that before. Influence of that must have been just it, phenomenal. It was incredible because I learned so much from him, but what I really learned, not musically, I learned that when you have a career, there's not a lot of room for ego. Hmm. Elvis didn't have one. Really? He was very open, very honest, very down to earth, appreciative of his career. And I learned that from him. He told me something one time. He said, as your career starts to unfold, which it looks like it's fixing to, he said, I want you to remember one thing. Never forget where you came from, mm. because if you do, you'll never get where you want to go. Wow, what a great piece of wisdom. I applied that to my life. You know, that that's brilliant. Great yeah. advice, and it yeah. obviously worked for him, but it's worked for you, too. You know, your music, TG, is timeless, and I'm so glad you put, put a new album out, because people who remember TG Shepard's music <laughs> for the past 30, 40 years will say, this is why I love this guy. <laughs> so thank you for coming up with some brand new material. Well, it feels good to get back out there again. Of course, we haven't been able to work that much this past year. Yeah. I'm finally back out there again now doing some shows. It feels so good. I missed being on stage and connecting with people because all I've ever wanted to do with my music is to make a difference in someone's life if it's for only three or four minutes at a time with a song. Well, you're going to do one for us here in just a minute. And... Um, you know, your wife, Kelly Lang, what a great <laughs> voice. She's been on our show yeah. singing before. Yeah. We love both of you guys. Uh, you just got to promise, keep making music, keep coming back to the Huckabee Show. Are you kidding me? And it's my keep favorite show. And them out. By the way, real quickly before we go do the music, you do a very uh, wonderful program on Sirius XM Radio. Yeah, we have the T.G. Shepard Show every Friday from 2 to 6 Central on uh, Channel 75, Elvis Radio. And so be sure and tune in and catch our show. Matter of fact, this week, uh, last week we had uh, Barry Gibb and Olivia Newton-John put you tonight. Wow. And uh, we have uh, Dolly good. coming up, a lot of other great people. So be sure and tune in to our, the T.G. Shepard Show. On I CSX, hope yeah. we all will. All right. Keith Bilbrey, is, uh, he's going to tell us what's about to happen. You can get T.G. Shepard's Midnight in Memphis everywhere music is sold and streamed. For more information about T.G.'s music and his radio show on Sirius XM's Elvis Radio, go to his website, tgshepard.com. After the show, go to Huckabee.tv for an online exclusive performance of Good Band. Now, here to sing with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection with Mike on bass is T.G. Shepard. 
I can make you cry, make you laugh, make you pray, or make you dance. If I sound just right and my words are true, I'll always be with you. I'm a song. I live on. Touch your heart and you sing along. I'm a part of you from then on. I'm a soul. I'll be there when you fall in love. If it falls apart, I'll lift you when your baby's born. I'm a lullaby. I'm amazing grace when a loved one dies. I'm a song. I live on even after the singer is gone. When I touch your heart and you sing along, I'm a part of you from me. I'm a soul. I'm a soul. I'm a soul. 